And when you get there, I want to look near the end of that gospel, actually at the end of the gospel there, gospel account, Matthew chapter 28. Now, at the end of Jesus' ministry, before he ascended to heaven, he showed himself alive with many proofs, many evidences to his disciples. Uh, They were blown away, of course, and they went from a ragtag motley crew of cowards who were Knees were knocking, they were hiding behind closed doors, afraid that they could be killed. They, their hearts were in the right place. They wanted to serve Christ. They wanted to serve him fearlessly. They'd just seen their, their Christ, their Lord crucified. Uh, they were trying to make heads and tails over, out of the whole thing. He rose from the dead. They saw the resurrected Christ. That had a huge effect on their hearts and minds and giving them a sense of fearlessness. I believe it was not one or the other, but two overriding facts. The fact of the resurrection... And not only the fact of the resurrection, the fact that they would be filled with the Holy Spirit, God in them, amen, to empower them to share the gospel. And we're living in times, they were living in times where it was very dangerous to share the gospel. There were several waves of persecution. You can read about the early church fathers. The early church fathers were persecuted, a number of them. In fact, we called Justin Martyr, Justin Martyr, because he was martyred, right? Uh, some of the church fathers went into exile, then they'd come back and preach, and they'd go into exile again. Depending on what emperor they were serving under, or I should say living under, or what mood that emperor might have been in. Uh, so the early church period was a, t- was a very dangerous time, but it was dangerous before what we call the period of the church fathers. It was dangerous uh, in the apostolic times in the first century. And we wanna, I want to read some of, about some of that, a little bit about that persecution, because I believe persecution is going is going to come. We're seeing some crazy things happening around the world right now. And we're seeing, we're seeing a lot of, uh, you know, we're seeing pestilences increase. Luke 21, Jesus said in the end times that would happen. We're seeing lawlessness all over right now. Jesus said that would happen. We're seeing ethnic group against ethnic group. Jesus said that would happen. We're seeing love of many grow cold. Jesus said that would happen. But in the context of a lot of those things going down and happening, Guess what else would be happening? The gospel would be getting preached and there would be persecution. Matthew chapter 24, just a few verses from this chapter. This is not very long before uh, Jesus is to be arrested and crucified. He's preparing them for what the world will be like in the end times. And what will happen in the very end will also be a picture of what will happen off and on through birth pains that will lead up to the ultimate persecutions. And they asked him about when the temple would be destroyed and when these, the end times would come and what would be the signs of your coming, the end of the age. And in verse 4, Jesus answered and said to them, See to it that no one misleads you. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ. I will mislead many. A lot of deception in the world, right? I mean, you just look at the mainstream news media, right? A lot of deception going on. You know, it's just crazy how much deception is out there. But many will come in the name of, uh, saying that I am the Christ and mislead many. If you are a Christian, when Jesus Christ comes back, you have no excuse to be deceived by a false Christ. You know why? Because if a false Christ comes and tries to deceive you, and he's talking to you on this planet, right? Or he's communicating through some form of social media on this planet. He's not Jesus Christ, Amen. Because when Christ comes back, it says they'll see him and it will return the same way he, as- he ascended into the clouds. Amen. And the angel stood by and told the disciples that he will come back in like manner. Amen. In fact, if you are talking to Christ, you think, on this planet, you're just hanging out with him, 
Got a bunch of followers in the wilderness or in the, in the desert places or the inner rooms as Jesus goes on to warn. You're deceived. When Christ comes back, you'll be caught up, it says, to meet him in the air. Amen? So he warns about these false Christ. In verse 6, he says, you'll be hearing of wars and rumors of wars. Heard about a lot of those, a lot of our own wars that we've been in in the last few couple decades. Uh, you'll see, that you are not, see to it that you're not frightened for those things must take place, but that is not yet the end. And I warned you when COVID first took place and everybody was honkering down and people were saying, some people were freaking out, this is it. This is the tribulation period. This is the mark of the beast. I said, it says the end is not yet. We're not even deep into the seals yet, okay? Uh, don't freak out. We have a lot of work to do, amen? Uh, these things must take place. That is not yet the end. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And in various places, there will be famines and earthquakes, Was there a tremor today? Are you shaking your head yes? Like what, an hour and a half ago? It's really interesting. I'm the only one that felt that. I I didn't have time. I was trying to finish my message and also my start shaking. And when I was driving here, I said, my wife, I go, was there an earthquake? She goes, I didn't feel one. So are you me the only one that felt it, Travis? Was that? I felt it. You felt it? Oh, you're the only one too? We're like real sensitive, I guess. Did anybody hear about it in the news? Okay, I got it. Yeah, in the news. Okay, it's, it's, it's new. it was in the news. What's that? 5.5. Okay. We happen to live on a fault. So, anyways, it came at an interesting time in scripture because this message, my message is all about how the church sometimes can be shaken up to get out of her comfort zone. And I was just writing about that, right? How we need to be shaken up to get out of her comfort zone. And all of a sudden, I start shaking to the left and right. I'm like, Lord, you are so funny. <laughs> I thought, that can't, could not have been my imagination, and thankfully it wasn't. Uh, we'll get to that part where we need to be shaken up, because the church is in a comfort zone. And we've been talking about things that would go down for a long time, and all of a sudden, all kinds of crazy things are going down, and you shouldn't be freaking out, because Jesus said these things would happen ahead of time. He said, I'm telling you these things ahead of time, so when they do take place, so he said, you won't fall away, okay? Our, our hope and our faith and our confidence in his word and who he is should arise. Kind of like the song that Tony led us in, right? Faith arise. So we read in verse 7, for nation will rise against nation. And by the way, what's the Greek word for a nation there? Remember? Ethnos from which we get the word ethnicity. Okay. Uh, It's talking about different races will be against different races. As Christians, right? We recognize that we're all one race ultimately, amen? That we're all from Adam, and we're all from Eve, the mother of all, and that we're all related to one another, and we seek to bring people to Christ. But the world will be blind with hatred, and they'll be caught up in tribalism and all that kind of, and my group versus your group, you know, and us against you and all that. And, and the Antichrist will come and try to bring the world together under force and a false lie of peace and safety, and causing people to worship him. But it says it'll be like trying to unite iron and clay. They won't hold together. But true believers hold together in Christ, amen? Because we're held together by the power of the Holy Spirit and through the blood by which he brings us peace. And all these things are merely the beginning of birth pains. Verse 9, then they will deliver you to tribulation and they will kill you. And you'll be hated by all nations because of my name. 
One day you'll be hated by this country. Okay? This will be one of the countries that says all nations and people and tongues will worship the beast. That means this country too will become a beast worshiper eventually. Can't put your hope in government ultimately. You pray that God, and according to 1 Timothy chapter 2, we should be praying for our leaders. Amen. I hope you are. That we'd have peace to share the gospel. But ultimately the Bible says, curse is the man who puts his trust in man. Amen. And when you look at what's going on in the top echelons of government, you can be thankful that certain people are there, but you realize how tentative it is, right? And there's people that are all about ego, about power, about thrusting or using that power to wield it over other people. Our ultimate hope is Christ. He's the Prince of Peace. We pray thy kingdom come. How many of you realize that the governments of the world are not solving the problems in this world? I mean, look around you. What's going on right now? Because governments cannot change the human heart. Amen? It's the Lord Jesus Christ that is a great heart changer. Amen? And how many of us are evidence of that? Amen? How many of us know where we were before we knew Christ and how he's changed us and brought us into his family? It's a beautiful thing. Verse 10. And at that time, many will what? Fall away and betray one another and hate one another. So this is in the context of persecution and being hated and being killed because of the name of Christ and many will fall away and guess what? They'll betray one another and hate one another. Why is this important? Because when there's a falling away, there'll be hatred among formerly professing believers toward believers. It is scary, huh? That means in our own ranks, and why do I teach the scripture? Why do I constantly have you looking at the word? Why do we soak up the scripture? Why do we talk about constantly praying and trying to pray without ceasing and seeking the Father and crying out to him and be changed by him? Because your heart can easily become influenced by the world and by the hatred that's in the world. It's so easy. And you have to say, no, I want to be influenced by the Holy Spirit. I want my heart to be under his influence, under the power of my creator who loves me, who gave himself for me, who made me, because I don't want to be swept away in all the ill feelings and all the hatred, amen, that is a mass in the psyche of this world system that we live in, amen. I want to be influenced by the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to be influenced by his word. I want to be influenced by the Holy Spirit, amen. So that means I need to stay in the spirit. That means I need to stay in the word. That means I need to stay plugged into the Lord and watch what I'm allowing to influence me. And I need to be stronger than that which has influenced me. And I can't, without Christ, be stronger than what's influencing me. Because what's influenced me in the world system is not just the flesh, as powerful that is. It's the world, the flesh, and the devil. And that which is contrary to Christ is satanically inspired. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but principalities and powers. So I'm no match for the powers of darkness in the world. That's why I need to make sure I'm relying on Christ. And there is going to be upheaval, even among family members. It talks about your own family members betraying you and turning you in. Children will turn to their parents and parents their children. When the mark of the beast comes out, guess what? There's going to be those that are so fearful, they can't even go outside. And they're going to like, whoa. And they want to be part of the system they don't want to be considered one of these Christian haters because you're going to be colored in all kinds of different ways. I'll tell you that right now. You're going to be the most unpolitically correct creature on the planet that has ever existed during the time of the Antichrist reign. You're going to be made to look like a crazy buffoon, Bible thumper, you know, wrecking the peace that they envision. So at that time, many will fall away and betray one another, and hate one another. Many false prophets will arise and mislead many. There'll be many false prophets that say, hey, come this way. It'll work out and make it easier for you, so it seems. 
tickle your ears, tell you what you want to hear. Now, verse 12 is important because lawlessness is increased. Most people's love will what? Grow cold. Keep in mind the context here. This is the context of being hated and being killed and being betrayed. Amen? And being hated by those who have betrayed you. In the context of falling away, you must make sure you guard your heart. I mentioned a little bit about this last Sunday, and that's because it's burning on my heart lately. Watch your hearts right now, man. Make sure your love light isn't put out by Satan, amen? Because that's what he wants to do. He wants to put out your love light. That's what it is. We're the light of the world, amen? And it's a love light. When Christ is in you and lives in you, now you have love, the love of God, amen? And you're light. Now, and I, I call it a love light because... Some Christians just think, oh, they're light, but they don't have a lot of love. And they have a lot of anger toward people. And it becomes this rigid, ugly thing. Man, we love the lost. Jesus died for the lost, amen? We want to see them saved. That was us, amen? And it could be us still if we hadn't been saved yet. And hopefully people would love us enough to share the gospel with us, amen? So we need to make sure we don't let our love grow cold. Because lawlessness has increased. Look at this. Does it say a few people's love will grow cold? Or some people's love will grow cold? What does it say? Most people's love will grow cold. Have you been watching what's going on on television lately? Are right, people's love growing cold before our eyes? All over the place. There's never been a time in our country where law enforcement, mayors, and you know, governors just lifted up their hand and say, just go ahead and kill people. Just go ahead and, and, and burn people's property. Just go ahead and steal people's property. You know, you go to church, we might arrest you. But if you loot... Go to church, keep your distance. But if you loot, you can be hand in hand. You can, you can kick down doors. You can burn shops and we're not going to lift a finger. And you know what? It'd be one thing. And the, the sad thing about it, a lot of law enforcement wants to do something about it. They want to protect. That's what, what are elected officials supposed to do? What, you know what they're sworn to protect? Life, right? Property, life, liberty, and property. That's what they're sworn to protect. But we have this lawlessness that's become popular. And many people in the media, mainstream media, are egging it on or refusing to condemn it. Now, they should be championing peaceful protest, amen? We're all for peaceful protest, right? First Amendment, you know, peaceful protest. A lot of good happened through peaceful protest in the past, amen? And I'm all for standing up for those who have been uh, brutalized. I personally believe that not just one, but I believe all four of those police officers, including three that stood by when this guy's being choked out for eight, nine minutes or whatever it is, that they're responsible too. Okay, unless one just happens to be, be clueless of what's going on, you know. But I believe there's a lot of good police officers that are tarnished. I think this is really a blow mine. You know why? Because what is the, what is the concept of racism and prejudice? It's stereotyping everybody as being one way, right? They're all everybody's like this that's in this group. And the irony to me is the media and a lot of people are saying, well, all cops are like this. And I'm like, do you not see you're basically becoming the person that you're condemning? It just blows me away. We look at this guy that was on this guy's neck and you don't have a pulse if you can't say that was wrong, man. It's just disgusting. And we say, oh, it's horrible, dude. And then we see People going into shops, killing people. I just heard about a baby who they couldn't rescue because uh, rioters were let, refusing to let people come in and help, and a baby burned to death. A black shop owner, 
who's captain, retired captain, 77 years old, was with his friend at his pawn shop trying to protect the pawn shop. He gets shot to death, you know. All kinds of this things are hap- these things are happening. And these things should be condemned. But we have a spirit of lawlessness in the world. But in the midst of this lawlessness, we're called to still do something. Look at verse 13. But the one who endures to the end, he will be saved. You're supposed to endure to the end, amen? You have to endure to the end. You have to hold your faith to the end to be saved. Then verse 14, look at this, man. Jesus says, this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then what? The end will come. This gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world's witness to all the ethnic groups. Then the end will come. Guess what? With you or without you, Jesus is going to have the gospel preached. It's a prophecy that will come to pass to all the world. The question is, are you going to be part of it, man? The question is, are you going to be part of the Great Commission fulfilling this? Or are you going to be a side on the sidelines? Are you going to be one of those who betrays others? One of those who falls away? One of those who pretends to be a Christian but isn't interested in seeing people saved? One of those who lets your love light grow dim and go out because you don't care enough to want to see people around you saved that don't know Jesus. Pray that God would help you by the Holy Spirit grow into loving people that are lost enough to share the gospel with them. Amen? This is very, very, very important. Jesus wants us to go. In fact, I had a message. I only did one part. It was called, Why Are We Still Here? Or Why in the World Are We Still Here? Like after we got saved, why did he just rapture us? And there's three reasons I wanted to talk about. I've only talked about one so far. And this is kind of a part two of that in a way, but not really, and kind of is though. But one reason is to test us, which we haven't gone through really yet. Another reason is to make us like Jesus. We didn't have that part of that message yet. We had one part of the message. It was to make us his ambassadors. He hasn't taken us because he wants ambassadors that will go and preach the good news, the gospel, so other people can be saved just like we were, amen? He wants to use us as fishers of men and those who snatch people, as the scriptures say in Jude, out of the fire. And Jesus, as Jesus said, fishers of men, amen? As Paul said, we are his ambassadors, amen? We represent the king of kings. We represent another country. And we represent another country. And we are foreigners here. We're ambassadors here. I'm in the United States. I'm a citizen of the United States, but I am a temporary citizen of the United States. You are too. You're not going to live that long relative to eternity. Your life is like a vapor. You're a temporary citizen of this country. You need to be the best citizens we can be, but you're ultimately, you're an eternal citizen of the kingdom of God, and you represent our king in heaven. And there's one thing I've said before about being an ambassador. You never feel totally comfortable in the place that you're visiting because it's not your native place. We're, we're visitors. We're sojourners. We're pilgrims. We're ambassadors. We don't want to get too comfortable, but we want to be thankful. Now, in Matthew chapter 28, the very end of the gospel, we read this. And Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Now think about that. Not some, not most, All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. All power, all authority. It's not the Greek word that we often run into for power, dunamis, which is just the power that brought him forth from the dead, the power of the resurrection, you know, the power of the Holy Spirit. It's another Greek word. It has to do with more, it's translated, better translated authority. His power exercised in the context of authority. And all authority 
has been given to him in heaven and earth. And he says this to them to let you know that as his ambassador and the one that is to preach the gospel, that he has his authority, the authority of heaven and earth, all heaven and earth. Look around, man. Think about how big the universe is. That's just a part of the heavens and the earth. Okay, that's just, there's the first, second, and third heaven. Third heaven, you can't even see. It's God's domain. Earth, all power is given to him. And guess what? Through his power, he's commissioned us to preach the gospel. Because right after he says that, he says, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. Is that called the great suggestion or the great commission, by the way? Is that the great suggestion? No, it's not a suggestion. Amen, it's a command. It's a great commission. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Verse 20, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. Wow. So guess what? You're going. You're to be going. And in the Greek, it's not, the Greek for go is not in the imperative. It's a, it's, the verb is a participle. It basically means as you're going, or having gone, meaning you're expected to be just doing his will as you're going about your life. The command, the imperative is make disciples. That's the imperative. There's only one imperative verb in the Greek, and it's to make disciples. So we're called to make disciples. How do we make disciples? We preach the gospel to them. Luke 24 speaks of preaching the gospel to them. Mark 16, preaching the gospel to them when we look at the Great Commission. And then we baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then what do we do? We teach them to obey Jesus' commands. Teach them to observe everything I've commanded you. We're making disciples. So guess what? When we get together, and it is such a blessing for me to see a bunch of brothers and sisters here on a Wednesday after COVID-19, after we've opened the doors, you know? And isn't it good for you guys to see one another too? Pretty awesome, amen? We can still do that. I was reading strange things that church will never happen again. This is... You know, the lockdown is forever, and this is the Antichrist is going to emerge now, and the mark of the beast is going to come out. And, and I'm like, mm, I don't think so, not yet. And we talk about prophecy a lot. And I thought, no, nah, we'll be meeting again. Now, if, <laughs> if you would have told me that when we're meeting, there'll be riots all over in the streets and cities, I'd be, well, that would be scriptural. But uh, who saw that coming? Right on the heels of COVID-19, right? So... But guess what? It's in, and I'm telling you guys this. I'm showing this to you. I'm pleading with you to understand that the gospel, we're supposed to not take our eyes off the ball. That we're supposed to keep focused on preaching the gospel in the midst of much unrest. In the midst of much persecution. In the midst of much turmoil. In the, in the midst of cosmic events. In the, in the midst of nations against na nations against nation and wars and rumors of wars. And kingdom against kingdom. That's conglomerations of different ethnic groups, you know, uh, and with famines and pestilence and these things arising. And in that context, we are supposed to keep preaching the gospel. Don't you want to make sure that if life gets pretty messed up around you, you have a purpose in life, that your life's meaningful and you're doing what God wills you to do, amen? I mean, praise God, amen, that our lives matter. Make sure your life counts, don't let your life go by and at the end of your life it didn't really count because you didn't lead one person to Jesus in your entire life. You never shared Jesus with anybody. Now we can't control how much fruit we have. 
We can't control how much of a harvest we will reap or how much we will bring forth or how many fish will be brought on the boat, but you can control how, much, how often your fishing hooks in the water or how often you bring that net into the water, amen? Or how often you sow seeds or how often you water seeds. And not everybody's gonna sow, not everybody's gonna water. And God's the one who gives the increase. We have different jobs, amen? You can make sure that you're about your father's business, amen? And that you're doing something for the kingdom. And you're making your life count. And part of that something is encouraging those who are Christians. Make disciples, amen? So you bring people to Christ, you teach them to follow Jesus. And guess what we all are? disciples. And guess what happens when you encourage one another in Christ? You're helping to still make disciples. You're all making disciples if you encourage other disciples in Christ to, you encourage people to obey the Lord. You love them. You hold your brothers and sisters accountable in a loving way. You're part of that process. That's fruit that will be charged to your account on the day of judgment if you're encouraging your brothers and sisters. Now there's the initial making disciples, leading them to people to Christ, baptizing them, amen, but somebody already has begun to be a disciple before they're baptized, amen? They're already saved. So after people are saved, you're still ministering to them and helping them grow as disciples. After they're baptized, you continue to teach people in the way of Christ, amen? Now, I want you to be encouraged by this because we have this call. And the name of this message, by the way, is Fighting Racism with the Great Commission. Okay? We've got the answer, Amen? I could look around this room and see people that had all kinds of different sins they were involved in. I don't know all of your lives, okay? But uh, after the last message I did on the evil of racism, Brother Jim, man, you, you, if you saw pictures of Jim in the past, he looked like the, one of the craziest hell's angels you've ever seen in your life, okay? He wasn't a hell's angel, though. I mean, he looked like maniacal, man, big old six foot six, you know, monster of a man, as wide as he was as tall, you know, as far as just strong, you know. And it's like, and he, he, I didn't know him as a racist. I've only known Jim as a Jesus lover and a people that loves all people of every, every color, red, brown, yellow, black, or white, you know. He's got a big heart. And it's hard to believe his stories until he tells, shows me some of his old pictures. I'm like, dude, you ran with the wrong dudes, man. But Jesus changed his heart. Now he'd lay his life down for people of other racial, so-called racial groups. I don't doubt that. He'd put himself in harm's way and risk his life for people. And I think that's true of so many people here. God changes their hearts. It's the, the gospel is the power of God to salvation, amen, to everyone that believes the Jew first and also the Greek. Jesus changes the heart. If anybody be in Christ, the new creation, old things have passed away, all things become new. Only the gospel could change the heart, amen? You know, Obama, when he was president, he said racism is in all of our DNA. Interesting. And I would say racism is in all our DNA. I would say sin is in all of our DNA, right? And sin manifests in a lot of different ways. And one way it can manifest is through racism. I don't believe it manifests in everybody through racism. But guess what? Jesus came to take away our sins, amen? Jesus came to change our hearts, amen? Jesus came to give us and put the Father's love in our heart by the Holy Spirit to where by we love everybody, amen? What a powerful gospel we have that we can love everybody, that's the change that only the Holy Spirit could bring, where it says in Romans chapter 5 that the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, amen? And the fruit of the Spirit is love and peace and joy, amen? Long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness. And we're new creations. I know that I become a loving person full of God's grace 
all by God's grace, not by my own power. Apart from him, I can do nothing, but through Christ, I can do all things. And I pray constantly, Lord, help me be a loving guy. Help me be what you've called me to be. And then I watch him do it. He gives me a great love for my wife, my children, my grandchildren, my brothers and sisters in Christ. And even give me, gives me love for my enemies to where I pray for them and I feel for them. That doesn't mean I won't be challenged. That doesn't mean I won't be betrayed. That doesn't mean I won't go through hard times. What it does mean is I know the answer is in Christ. And when I go through hard times to make sure my love doesn't grow cold and make sure I get on my knees and say, God, have mercy on me and help me not to let my love light go away. Amen. Jesus says, keep your light burning. He said, don't let your lamps go out in Luke chapter 12. Now, we're called to invite everybody. Remember Jesus gave the parable of the wedding feast? Remember that? And the king had a big wedding feast for his son. That's a picture of the father, and the son is Jesus. In Matthew 22, 9, it says, Jesus says, Go therefore to the main highways, and as many as you find there, invite to the wedding feast. Okay, now when they were to go to prepare to be witnesses throughout the world, Jesus told them to get together in Jerusalem and tarry in Jerusalem and wait for what to come upon them. Remember that? Wait for the power of the Holy Spirit to come upon them in power. Go to Luke chapter 24. Look at what Jesus says here. Luke chapter 24. And go to verse 45, please. And he said to them, oh, I'm sorry, then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Verse 26, and he said to them, thus it is written that Christ would suffer and rise again. This is after the resurrection from the dead, the third day. And that repentance for the forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. So guess what? When you're doing, when you're commanding them, when you're going about right? And you're making disciples. What are you preaching? Right here, Jesus tells us to repentance, beginning in Jerusalem. Amen. Verse 48, you are witnesses of these things. Verse 49, and behold, I am sending forth the promise of what? My father upon you, but you are to stay in the city until you are what? Clothed with power from on high. So they are to go to Jerusalem. They are to stay in the city until the Holy Spirit comes upon them in power. And they're given power from on high. Right now, there's a lot of crazy stuff going around. There's people arming themselves. There's people doing all kinds of crazy things. You know what you need to make sure you're doing as a Christian? Arming yourselves with the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You need to make sure that you're crying out to God, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Help me overflow. Because you need weapons the weapons are of our warfare, it says, are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, to cast down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the, the knowledge of God. Satan comes against it. So we rely on God's power. We rely on the sword of the Spirit, His Word. Amen? I'm not saying that you don't have any physical weapons to protect your family. You're wise, you know, if you protect your family. Okay? Especially with how crazy things are going right now. But... The main thing you should be focused on is getting the gospel out. Don't lose your focus. Professing Christians who are thinking all about, I just got to get enough food stored up. I got to get enough weapons. I got to protect myself. I got to go hide and find some place where I could just hide out for the rest of my life until Jesus comes. What in the world are you talking about, man? That's not what he says to do. Amen. He says to preach the gospel. Amen. And you know what? During the tribulation period, and we're not even in the tribulation right now, 
Well, what if we are? Well, guess what? Even if we were, guess what? You do in the tribulation period. Guess what's being said about the Christians? They remain loyal, it says, to the testimony of Jesus. They're still giving their testimony of Jesus, amen? Okay, so don't go honker down and hide out for the rest of your life. You know how many millions of people have honkered down and died honkered down because the tribulation never came in their lifetime? It's embarrassing and sad at the same time. They just die honkered down. It's like, ah, man, I could have told you what's not happening, you know? Oh, I'm not saying during times of radical persecution, you don't flee, but the Bible says if they persecute you in one city, go to another. Doesn't say put the light out though, and don't show the gospel for the rest of your life again. Just be wise. Amen. I don't see anybody getting persecuted because their faith right here in our city is to where they have to go to the next city because they can't preach the gospel. That happens, then I'll go to preach the gospel somewhere else. So he says, until you are clothed with power from on high. So they're supposed to go to Jerusalem. Jesus is going to ascend right after this, right, to heaven. But they're supposed to go to Jerusalem and wait for the power of the Holy Spirit to come upon them, right? So now go to the book of Acts, chapter 1. By the way, Luke wrote the book of Acts as well as Luke. And in Acts chapter 1, guess what they're doing in Acts chapter 1? They're tarrying. They're waiting in Jerusalem for the power of the Holy Spirit to come upon them on high. Amen? From on high. Look at verse 4. Gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he, ha- which he said, you heard from me. John, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So now they're tearing in Jerusalem in the book of Acts, right after Jesus ascends. They're sheltering in place, waiting for power from on high to go be witnesses, amen? And you're like, man, we've had to shelter in place for three months now. We're just now able to get out of the house a bit, and then they just extended it, what, till June or something? Or I'm sorry, July now, or August? What was the latest? Use that time to seek the Father, amen? To cry out and say, God, use me. Fill me with your Holy Spirit to get close to him, to get to know his word, to understand the marching orders that we've been given, amen? Get in the word. Get sharpened up, amen? And still... Don't let the word of God be held bound because we can still be witnesses while we're supposed to be, quote unquote, you know, sheltering in place. Amen. They're sheltering in place and at the, on the waiting on the day of Pentecost. By the way, guys, this whole, the whole gospel is according to the feast days of the Old Testament. There's these seven feast days that are prophetic pictures of, just like the seven days of creation are prophetic pictures of the story of redemption. So the seven feast days are pictures of our salvation. And I wish I had time to get into it, but we don't, you know, because I want to stay on topic. But I will say this much. When, when Christ died on the cross, what day was it according to the Gospel of John? What, what feast day? Passover. When he rose from the day, when we rose from the dead, what day was that feast day? Feast of first fruits. The day after the Sabbath was a feast of first fruits, right? So you have, I'm sorry, the day, the, the, the day when Passover took place, all the Passover lambs were being killed, that was a picture of Christ. He's the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. He's crucified on Passover. Then right after Passover, then would come the Sabbath. Remember, they took Jesus down and buried him before the Sabbath came. And then on the Sunday after the Sabbath, it says the Old Testament would be the first feast of first fruits. What was the feast of first fruits? 
Well, it was the harvest time. And the priest would do a wave offering and he would take the first fruits of the offering of all the different wheat or what have you and he'd wave it before the Lord Sunday morning after Passover Sunday morning. Guess what Jesus did on Sunday morning, the day after the Passover? He rose from the dead. That's the feast of first fruits. Paul said, Christ, our Passover has been resurrected, right? And then he also said a little bit later in that same book, 1 Corinthians, that he is the first fruits of the resurrection. Amen? And first fruits being there means there's what? More fruit, amen? That will be raised from the dead, amen? That's us. And guess what Pentecost was? Pentecost would come then, many days after that, just over a month after that, then you had the feast of, listen guys, you have the feast of Pentecost. And guess what they were doing? They're waiting in Jerusalem, and guess what day? Listen, what day are they waiting for? What day is the Holy Spirit going to come on power on them? The day of Pentecost. By the way, Pentecost is this coming Sunday. I think it's on the 9th. If I've got it right, 2020, I think it's on the 9th, this coming Sunday, the day of Pentecost. Okay? What's, what's, the, what's the 9th? It's coming up, though. Tuesday, okay. So we won't have a Pentecost service. I'm sorry. It was on this last Sunday. Somebody look it up, man. We didn't celebrate it. We don't typically celebrate Pentecost. We celebrate the death and the resurrection. But guess what? It's right around this time, right? Depends on the new moons and everything. But listen to this. What happens after the Feast of first fruits? Then the day of Pentecost. Then there's the harvest. Guess what's happening when they get filled with the Holy Spirit here in the book of Acts? There is a harvest of souls. How many souls get saved on that first day? 3,000 souls. It follows the calendar. It's pretty heavy. Think about that. Passover crucified. Feast of first fruits, he's resurrected. He's the feast of the first fruits of the resurrection. Then the day of Pentecost, boom. You have all these different souls saved on the day of Pentecost. But look at verse 4. Gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Why? Verse 6. So when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time that you're going to restore, that you're restoring the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times and epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive what? Power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses both where? In Jerusalem and in all what? Judea and where? Samaria. Why is Samaria mentioned, do you think, by name? Do you remember my last message on the evil of racism? The Jews hated who? The Samaritans. They're like, Samaria? Yeah, Samaria. The gospel of the kingdom would preach in all the what? All the nations. All the ethnic groups. And then the end will come. So you're going to start in Jerusalem. And all Judea, that whole region, and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. That doesn't mean every single Jew hated the Samaritans, but basically there was a lot of racial tension between the Samaritans and the Jews. I think this is quite fascinating because the gospel itself, and I gave you different things last Sunday when I did that message against on the evil of racism, how there are all these different things about Jesus and his commands and so forth that are contrary to racism and actually destroy racism. And one of the things I mentioned out of maybe 10 different things I mentioned was the Great Commission. So I thought this was, I'm going to preach on the Great Commission. 
because we're right around the harvest time. We're right around Pentecost, you know. Not too long ago, we celebrated the resurrection, his death, burial, and resurrection. And guess what? We're supposed to be part of that harvest. One man plants, one man waters, right? Others reap. God gives the increase, amen? Now, remember, Jesus said, I'm going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed. I love that. Clothed with power from on high. And now in verse 4, he says, just like you heard, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. What's the point here, guys? If you are going to be witnesses, listen, if you are going to fulfill the Great Commission, you're going to need the power of the Holy Spirit. You can't do it on your own. We're talking about miracles. Every time someone's born again, it's a miracle, amen? And you can't do miracles in your own power. It's God through you who does the miracles, amen? So you say, God, use me. And when you witness to people, you don't just go in your own strength. You say, God, witness through me. God, use me. God, control my mouth. God, put words and thoughts in my heart. God, create divine appointments. God, help me shine the light to people. And you don't just say, I'm going to go witnessing once in a while. Jesus says what? You are my witnesses, amen? And as you're going, I love that. He doesn't say go as you're going. Make disciples. The command is make disciples as you're going. In other words, your entire life should be the mission field. I figured that out a long time ago. Joe, don't just say I'm going on a mission. My life should be a mission field. I figured that out with devotions too. Somebody was just telling me just recently how it's hard for them to do devotions with their kids. Their intentions are all in the right place, okay? And it was right in front of my house, a gal that was going for a walk, really neat gal, I know who she is. And she's talking about the kids and, and devotions. And she goes, I wish I, it seems like something always gets in the way. You know, I told her, I said, you know what? That's really helped me in my life. I go, I know my wife and I, we'd be, have, okay, we're going to do a devotion with the kids. And it just seems like everything just goes haywire when we're a young, young couple with, you know, three kids and running around. And it's like, wash, the washing machines acting up or boom, boom, whatever, man. You know, it's like, you know what? I said, was so liberating for me. Is Jesus, the scripture, the word of God talks about when you're, you're laying down, Right? Talk to your kids about the word, amen? Share the word with them. When you're going along the way, right? Share the word with them, amen? Have scriptures up in your home. And it was a whole lifestyle of, of devotion, amen? This lifestyle devotion. So I would have devotions with my kids. I'd, but you know what? My kids knew. My kids knew that throughout the day, I'm going to be talking about Jesus, and that's what I'm about, and that's what you're going to be about. And if you don't like it, you, you wait till you're old enough. I didn't say it that way. I just love Jesus in front of them. And they just heard about Jesus all the time, 24-7. It's still that way. If they watch a movie with me, yeah, I'll probably ruin the movie. I'll probably stop it and teach them things from the movie or something. I just did that with my poor grandkids. Hey, uh, gotta stop it. Clean movie, but still, there was some lessons to learn, you know? And... But they're going to hear from me because guess what? Their whole life is going to be devotion. But that's how I approach evangelism too. I don't say, you know, there's certain times where I'm going to go out and be a witness. Paul says in season and out of season, right? Reprove, rebuke, and exhort. Jesus says the, the, the field is already white under snow, meaning the cotton's ready to be picked. The harvest is there. The wheat is already ready. Go and go for it. So what I'm saying to you, adopt the position that you are 24-7 an ambassador for Jesus. Then you'll be cognizant. Are you guys listening? 
then you'll be cognizant of being a witness all the time. And you'll continually want to share the gospel. And you'll continually want to be having devotions if you're a parent with your kids. Because guess what? I don't divide my life up as secular and spiritual. Okay? I've told you I'm not a cafeteria Christian. I'm not a Christian where it's, what was that popular, I don't know if it's still around even, TV dinners where you, you peel up the foil and there's all these the green beans and whatever, Swanson's, I don't know what they were. Was it Swanson's? I'm more of a beef stew guy, man. Mix it all together, you know? Not that I'd mix all that Swanson stuff together. It's like, oh, some of that looks repulsive, you know? Salisbury steak was pretty good, though. But I'll tell you what, my whole life and your whole life should be mixed together in Jesus. Well, when I'm at work, guess what? At work, you can be praying. The Bible says, do your work unto the Lord, amen? Be a witness wherever you're at, amen? You, I may get fired. I do this, and if I just start preaching Jesus, I didn't say preach Jesus every second. Shine his light every second, though. Be who you are in Christ and don't compromise who that person is in Christ, amen? And you will you have greater influence than you even realize because people see you're different, that you don't constantly freak out, that, that you love, that there's something else about you and that your faith is in the Lord. But it can't happen on your lonesome. It can't happen on your own. It can only happen through the power of the Holy Spirit. And I love it because... Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, listen to this. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest in human wisdom, wisdom but on God's power. Amen? You want to rest in God's power. So when you're evangelizing, when you're shining the light, so you want to be prayed up. God, use me. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. He wants to use you. His eyes go to and fro throughout the earth looking for those he can strengthen. He wants to use you. He's not partial. Yeah, he might want to use that guy, but not me. Are you kidding? But, you know, I feel like I'm just, you know, I'm not good enough. Well, guess what? None of us are. Look at the, look at the disciples that he saved, amen? Was Peter this awesome guy, you know? Was Paul this awesome guy that was having Christians killed? Okay. He takes people that are lost, that are sinners. He changes their hearts and he gives them power to share the gospel. But I just can't. I'm just not really. I, I, that's a Moses like that. Moses had a stuttering problem. Remember that? And the Lord God said, I'll be with your mouth. Amen. He will be with your mouth. Okay. He'll give you strength. He'll give you wisdom. He'll give you guidance. He'll give you protection. Now, in Romans chapter, or 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 9 and 10, Paul says, but he said to me, and this is Paul, thinking, man, he's just got this thorn in the flesh, and, and it's just such a pain to live, just living is so hard. And he said, Lord said to him, and he didn't heal him. He said, my grace is sufficient for you. Jesus appeared to Paul. My grace is sufficient for you. It's more than enough. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power, so that Christ's power, so that Christ's power may rest on me. Why did I bring this passage in? Because I'm telling you, he wants to give you the power of the Holy Spirit, listen, to be his witness. Are you guys listening? He wants to give you the power of the Holy Spirit to be his witnesses, but also, guess what? To live an effective life. To live an effective life, even when you're going through times of pain. Even when you're going through dealing with some thorn in your flesh. Paul dealt with a radical thorn in his flesh. 
And he could have used that excuse. I'm not going to preach the gospel anymore. I've just got this thing going on in my life that's just too much. No. Lord said, my, he says to him, for Paul says, for when I am weak, then I am strong. When you recognize you're weak and you can't do it alone, then you rely on God's power and then he empowers you. So some of you are in circumstances like, Lord, I got this thorn in my life that is just unbearable. I, I can't even, it's so hard to deal with. Give it to the Lord and he'll get you through it. He'll give you the grace, the strength to get through whatever you're going through and give you the strength to still be a light. He knows exactly what you're going through. He's not surprised, like, oh, I can't believe you're going through that. Wow. Strange as it might seem, there's no trial or temptation that's taken us which is not common to men. Believe it or not, there's other people facing what you're facing. As sometimes it says, don't think that the fire trial you're going through is a strange thing. That means, in other words, it does seem strange sometimes. But to the Lord, it's not like, whoa. He's He's not like, whoa, he almost falls off his throne. That's a strange thing that guy's going through. No. He knew before the world was what you'd be going through. And he already gives you the grace to overcome it. Amen? And he's there for you. Just cry out to him. And his grace will show up for you. Romans 15, 13. May the God, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Did you catch that? May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, I haven't even got to the persecution part yet and how God uses persecution to help us preach the gospel. I'm looking at that in my notes and I'm like, that's next week's message, I guess. There's a lot there. Okay, it's part two of how, it's part two of, you know, fighting racism with the Great Commission. In fact, what I haven't preached is far thicker than what I did preach. So we'd never get through it. And this message was to build, but guess what? We'll have a part two. But I want to encourage you. I guess this one is the answer to racism is the good news of the gospel, amen? What's the good news of the gospel? That God so loved the world. That's every race of people, Amen. Jesus said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever, that means whoever, red, brown, yellow, black, or white, purple, pink, green, whatever, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have what? Everlasting life. So we have the most powerful answer. There's nothing close to it. Because guess what? Satan hates it, man. The world hates it. The world that wants man to be God and wants to think of themselves as God and having the answers. Well, we've seen the world's answers. They don't work. Guess what? There are literally hundreds of millions of professing Christians from all different colors, all different so-called races. And guess what? I look around in this fellowship, you know, and there's people of all different races here. I was just thinking, you know, we have red, brown, Black, white, yellow, if you will. We have, you know, people from India here that, that love Jesus and came to Christ, amen. We have people from uh, African-American Christians that come here, some that drive all the way from L.A. to come here that love Jesus, amen. We have people that are Asian that love Jesus here, amen. We have people that are Caucasian that love Jesus here, 
We have all kinds of people here. We have people that are Hispanic that love Jesus here. And I think everybody here would say this fellowship is more beautiful because we have diversity, amen? I honestly would really be bummed out if it was a bunch of white people here. Tell me the truth. I'd be, what, what a bummer. You know, I love, would love all the white people, but I'd be like kind of let down, you know? Not that white people are less than. We're all equal in Christ. We're all made in the image of God. But I'm just saying it would be kind of a bummer because I love the diversity that the Lord brings. I think it would mean that we're doing something wrong. I think when a church is like, I think when there's diversity in a community, but a church is all one color, that's a weakness. That means, pe- that means the love of Christ is not being shown in the clarity of the gospel. Not in every case, because I don't know all the dynamics everywhere, so I'm not going to be judgmental on a specific group. But you know what? You, you better not just be reaching out to people that come from your racial background as a church. Because there's some people, and some missionary-type movements, well, they'll just focus on certain, a certain group. The gospel is for all. Jesus said, go to the highways and byways, amen? And whoever will come, bring them in, amen? Jesus said, go and preach the gospel to all ethnic groups. The Greek word nations is ethnos. Just like he said, ethnos will be against ethnos. In Matthew chapter 28, he said, go and preach the gospel to all ethnics, ethnos, all ethnic groups. Amen? And make disciples of them. So guess what the church should look like? It should be a diverse group of people from all different, you know. And you know what's really, and it is, by the way. Did you know if you go to South South, uh, America and Central America, right now the gospel is spreading like wildfire? A lot of people, a lot of missionaries coming, going from Brazil to win people to Christ. Do you know that? They're one of the leaders in missions right now. You know where the gospel is spreading like wildfire as well? In, in Africa. In Africa, millions of people are coming to Christ. You know where else it's spreading? In ancient Persia or Iran. Iran. Some people have said it was spreading there faster than anywhere on earth. I don't know. It's hard to tell exactly. But praise God, you have all these former Muslims turning from Islam to Jesus Christ and finding liberty and freedom from sin in the Savior, amen? And guess what? What a joy it is to bring people to Christ, amen? And I'll tell you what, the cool thing is that you don't have to see a whole line of people that you've led to Christ to have joy from leading people to Christ. You just simply need to get out there and share Christ with people because eventually, guess what? There's gonna be fruit whether you see it or you don't see it. Amen? Jeremiah, I don't, I don't read about him making a lot of converts. You read the whole book of Jeremiah, you're like, poor guy, you know? He had the truth. He's a young guy. He's commissioned. He's on fire. He's going for it. Then he laments. and He wants to give up at some point. Then the Lord tells him, you better not. He keeps going. He's thrown into a pit, left for dead. And it's like, what in the world? Well, guess what? You know how many millions of us? Anybody here ever read any of Jeremiah? Raise your hand. Guess what? <laughs> All of us. He's ministered to millions and millions of people. Now, if he didn't died and never heard that, he wouldn't know that, right? Well, he died, and I'm pretty sure in heaven he realizes the fruit that God used him for. And I'm telling you right now, if you're sharing the good news, there's fruit that you'll see later in your life that you haven't seen yet. Just share it, because it's the power of God to salvation, the Jew first and also the Greek. I did not intend this to be a two-part message, because a lot of the meat of this message is still coming. But I guess the first part was all about relying not on ourselves, but on who? The power of the Holy Spirit. Now, do you have to go tarry in Jerusalem and wait for the Holy Spirit to come upon you in power? No, because the Holy Spirit already came in power, amen? 
when you become a Christian and you ask the Lord Jesus Christ into your life, what happens? He comes in. But does he come in alone or is it Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? It's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Bible says in Romans 8, if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're none of his. You don't belong to him. But when you come to Christ, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are the one God, three persons, one God. Jesus said the Father and the Son that will make our home in your heart. And Jesus said the Holy Spirit will indwell you, the Comforter, amen. But you know what you can do? You can ask for more empowerment by the Holy Spirit. Paul asked for that in Acts chapter three. He asked for the whole church of Ephesus to be filled with the fullness of the Holy Spirit, the fullness of God, amen. And Jesus said to his disciples, you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children. If one of them asks for, you know, a fish, right? You don't give them a scorpion, right? If they ask for an egg or a piece of bread, you don't give them a snake, right? He said, how much? And you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, he said. How much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to you if you ask him? Wow. And his point is, if you guys being evil because you're fallen men, love your children enough to give them good gifts, but you're evil compared to the father, how much more because he's perfectly good Will he give you guys the Holy Spirit when you ask him? Amen? So I'm encouraging you. Constantly pray and say, Lord God, help me be become more like Jesus. Help me be filled up with the fullness of you. Fill me with yourself. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. And transform me and make me more Christ-like and use me to your glory and help me be a witness. Help me be a bright light. And when things are getting worse, help me not become like the world. Amen? Help me not be conformed to the world. Help me not become hateful like they are, but help me be transformed, amen, by the power of your Holy Spirit, by the renewing of my mind through being in your word. Stay in the word, amen? Because I'm telling you right now, a lot of Christians are watching what's going on, and they're sitting there watching, mesmerized by the television, tripping out by social media, looking at Twitter, and afraid that they need to be what, like what people are like on Twitter or in social media, Guys, listen, don't let social media squeeze you into the world's mold because all of a sudden you'll be like, oh, I want to make sure I fit in. No, man, we have our marching order. Stay in the word. Twitter is going to be gone pretty soon, guys. I guarantee you it. Twitter will be no more in time. God's word is eternal, amen? And what he thinks of you matters most. But don't sit there soaking up the world and being freaked out by the world and being mesmerized and hypnotized by the world to where you become a child of darkness again. Stick to Jesus and don't turn back, amen? Stick to Jesus and don't turn back and be witnesses, not only in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, but where? To the uttermost parts of the earth. Guess where we're at right now? We're not in Jerusalem or uh, Samaria right now. Some of our listeners may be, but most of us are far away. We're at the uttermost parts of the earth, other side of the planet. You're here. And a lot of you are just born on the mission field. You don't have to go to the mission field. You're on the mission field. Let's just be a witness and let's make disciples. Be witnesses where we're at. Amen. And if God calls you somewhere else to be a witness, obey him and go. But make disciples. Amen. But don't do it in your own power. Do it by the power of the Holy Spirit. And when things get shaken all around you, don't freak out. I literally was thinking, man, the Lord is going to shake us so we'll do his will and not to be shaken by the world. And then I started shaking. I'm like, Lord, you are so cool. God is good. Let's pray.